Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. All right. Well, welcome back from your weekend, first of all. And what we're going to do today, for as long as it works, I mean, which I think we'll do the whole show. I'm expecting that. We have no guests scheduled. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the Democratic field, the group of people seeking the presidential nomination on the Democratic side. We could also talk about the Republican field a little bit. If you're a Republican and you're getting interested in William Weld or something, that would be part of it. So first of all, let me give you the number, and then I'll try to set this up a little bit more. Our number, our call-in number, where you can call in, you call this number, and then you would use that to call in, is 860 860- 860-275-7266. That's 860-275-7266. And I'll explain to you now why you might call in. So, uh, first of all, we are, I, you, first of all, you would call in if you are already fairly passionate about a particular candidate or if you are passionately opposed to a particular candidate. Now, there are, tw- I think it's fair to say that there's 20 candidates right now running in 2020. There's 20 candidates running in 2020. Most of them are trying to court the votes of 20-somethings. I mean, does this all sound a little suspicious, like there's 20 candidates running in 2020? I realize probably tomorrow somebody else will get in the race and mess the whole thing up. But So there's 20 candidates running, 16 of whom, I might add, using the normal, I mean, the, the agreed-upon Democratic National Committee rules for debates, 16 of whom are eligible to be in the debates already. And the, the other ones have time. I mean, I'm, it's not going to stay at 16. So I'm going to, first of all, read you the names <laughs> of the 20. Um, and, and you're going to draw blanks on a number of these, all right? So Joe Biden. Okay, I'll just do the last names. Because I literally don't know the first names of a few of them. Anyway, uh, Biden, Booker, Buttigieg, uh, Castro, Delaney. See, I don't know his first name. Gabbard, Gillibrand, Harris, Hickenlooper, Inslee, Klobuchar, Messem. Not sure I know his first name either. I know who he is, though. uh, Moulton, O'Rourke, Ryan, I think I know his first name. Sanders, Swalwell, Warren, Williamson, Yang. Okay, those are twenty people. Sixteen of whom, <laughs> sixteen of whom have already qualified for most of the DNC san- for any of the DNC sanctioned debates, unless they change the rules somehow. So that's, I mean, that creates some real problems in terms of choice. So first of all, yeah, I'd love to have you call in if you are passionate about somebody or if you're even, I mean, I will tell you that right now I can't say a sentence about my support or enthusiasm that doesn't contain the word not. For example, I am not enthusiastic about Joe Biden. I do not support Joe Biden. If Joe Biden is the nominee, I will not be happy. Um, you know, but the other people, it's more like I, I, I guess I would sort of say that I would use the word not twice. I would say about, say, Andrew Yang, I'm not 
not supporting Andrew Yang. I'm not not enthusiastic about Andrew Yang. Um, so you see what I'm saying here. I could either use not once or twice. Uh, anyway, if you want to call in about any of this, and then I'm going to set up a few other things to kind of get you going. Uh, 860-275-7266. 860-275-7266. All right. So, I mean, another question that I would have for you is, did the fact did the fact of Biden getting in did it change your attitude at all? I mean, either did were you supporting somebody else and now you're supporting Biden or were you unhappy that Biden got in? Do you think and I guess another part of this is do you think that Biden getting in specifically hurts the can, the choices the chances of certain candidates takes away numbers from those candidates? Um, obviously, he seems to lead in the polls. He seems seemed to be leading in the polls before he got in, all that kind of stuff. And another question I have, uh, and we got the phones are beginning to ring here, so oh, I think I even know who the first caller is. 860-275-7266 is, you know, I mean, it used to be, you know, pre-2016, you looked at candidates, you looked askance at candidates who had no office-holding experience. Um, so like a Marianne Williamson or an Andrew Yang, somebody like that. Um, now, I'm not sure that's the case, and I'm wondering what you think about that, too. Like, would you be willing to to uh, to consider a Marianne Williamson or an Andrew Yang? Or I think those are the two main ones, um, you know, because after all, you know, we— Donald Trump is our president, all right? So 860-275-7266. Let me get to the first call. It's John in Kensington. Hi, John. Hi, Colin. I, I, I just sold your screen caller. I'm turning into my mother. All right. She used to say, I'm glad I'm as old as I am. I feel sorry for you kids. I can't <laughs> believe in a country this great, this is our choices. I mean... I most, I guess I would most as an old-time Democrat uh, identify with Joe Biden. I don't want to vote for him for president, but these other people are attacking old white guys, and I'm one of them, and I feel I feel like I'm under attack by my own party. It's like, I, I, I hope I never hurt anyone. I don't know why they're turning the guns on me. Yeah, I don't think you should take it personally if they say something about the I don't want to vote guys. for Joe Biden, but I, I certainly would vote for him before I vote for the rest of them. I read this thing about this Bano O'Rourke. Oh, my God, he sounds like a kook. Right. A big <laughs> article in the New York Times about him. Believe me, I mean, Be- Beto, right. Beto is one of the—I would say— in terms of the sanity spectrum, I'd put Beto somewhere in the middle. So, all right, well, listen, so it sounds like right now you, you would vote for Biden. You don't want to vote for Biden, but you would vote for Biden because I none of the other 19 people does it, you know, does anything for you, right? I, I, and I, I would vote for Biden, and I think I would end up saying tribe over truth. All right. You know, at least, you know what I mean? At least I mean, the tribe of, old, tribe of old white guys. I'm turning into your mother, too, in the sense that and I, I, I'm told the only way that I'm turning into your mother, well, that I'm aware of, I may be turning into your mother in lots of different ways. But the way that I'm aware of is that I, I increasingly think, oh, I'm glad I'm not a young person. I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad whatever this is. It's it's going to be over for me in twenty years or so. So, um, I, I I do feel bad for other people who have to figure out 
on a long-term basis, what this is. All right, we've got lots of interesting callers here. I'm just going to speed right through them. The number again, 860-275-7266. Here we go with Lorna in Southampton. I believe that's in Long Island. Hi, Lorna. Uh, hi, thanks for taking my call. So full disclosure, I'm, I know most of them, and I'm involved in politics, but I'm not involved with any singular one. Yeah. Wanted to start there. Okay. Um, I feel like uh, everyone's getting excited about these candidates like Pete Buttigieg and Beto O'Rourke, but mm. they're going to come into the White House with training wheels on, and we don't have two years to make it so somebody gets to know every agency. Right. Well, and I mean, so, I think oh, I think. Ahead. Well, don't you think Beth? I, I'm I'm not supporting either one of these guys, but um, did you think Beto is a little less the case with training wheels than Mayor Pete would be? I mean, Mayor Pete's the mayor of South Bend. I mean. Beto yeah. at least has some familiarity yeah. with Washington, D.C. I agree with you. For him, it's that. I don't think he's that experienced or practical, but I also have a little bit of an issue with his personality. It's a little over the top for me. You mean um, the jumping up on not, tables? That, that, that. Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't have any gravitas. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you could get a dog trainer in there and pretty quickly get him to stop jumping up on tables. That, that's think. true. When Clinton came into office, there was two years where his administration was a mess. And yes. as much as I love him, as Barack Obama as well. There were two years where they really weren't on it. Then they got their stride. We don't have two years. Every agency's gutted. It's floating. Temporary agency heads. We need someone to come in who gets it right that day. Okay, I want to know where you're heading. I want to know who's who's getting the Lorna seal of yeah, approval. I've, I do like Joe Biden. I've known him a long time. I'm yeah. also an avowed feminist, and I've never been offended by him. I've been around him. I love Elizabeth Warren. I wonder about her electability because she just uh, does. She has high negatives. I love her. But I really think that uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, Amy Klobuchar, and um, um, Kamala are, yeah. are very solid, very solid. All right. So you've narrowed it down to five. Maybe you've narrowed it down even a little bit more than that. Tulsi Gabbard doesn't have enough experience, right. I don't believe, and I don't think she's the right person. I have narrowed it down. I would love to see a woman more than anything, but what I really want is someone who gets it the day they walk in, mm-hmm. not with training wheels. I love Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. I think he needs to you know, be shaving a few more years before he decides to do this. I feel like it's going to be somewhere between training wheels and a walker. You know, I think we just need to keep <laughs> wheels... wheels out of it somehow. Um, well, everybody should be able to walk unassisted. Bernie Sanders is a curmudgeon. There's a big difference between an executive and a legislator. He's a great legislator. I personally feel he's not an executive. All right. I'm going to move along here, Lorna, but I think I've successfully taken your temperature. Uh, And um, so she's, I, you know, if I were to sort of try to distill Lorna, I would say she's going to support one of the three women. All right, here we go. Here's Elizabeth in Thomaston. Hi, you're on the air. Hi. Um, so I guess I should start by saying I'm a 20-something in 2020. Yeah. So uh, I guess I'm hip. But well, you're certainly, you're, you can be marketed to anyway. Yes, exactly. So I know a lot of the candidates are trying to market to my generation. Mm-hmm. And personally, the one who puts me off the most is actually Beto, because he's just trying too hard. <laughs> you know, how he's live streaming at the dentist and... Right. That was too much. Yeah. And what about losing a Senate race makes you think that you can then win the presidency? True. True. It's it's very counterintuitive to me. So you're you're down to 19. I mean, you're making some real progress here. 
I'm I'm not a fan of the, you know, older white man either, but I also realize that we need to pick up the votes that we lost in 2016. Right. So it's this balancing act of do you support Kamala Harris, who is, I think, an incredible candidate, but I'm concerned she might not be able to win. And it's like putting your morals against practicality. Right. But, you know, I mean, I, I don't I first of all, I don't have any of the answers. I am as buffaloed by all this as anybody who's going to call the show today. But the way that I think about it right this second, subject to change within the next four hours, is that you shouldn't focus too much on electability. I mean, I know everybody doesn't want four more years of the Night King. I get that. But, um, you know, uh, if you focus too much on electability, you begin to lose track of what it is you truly believe or who it is you, that you truly admire. And it seems to me that ought to be 80% of your consideration and electability 20%. I, I know lots of people would say different, and I might say different tomorrow. But like, if you think Kamala Harris is better than anybody else, you sh- that's who you should support. You know. Anyway, you get, we got a lot of time before. You could change five more times, right? <laughs> I mean, that's very true. Yeah. It's so early. Right. It's very early. But on the other hand, there are all these people clamoring for our attention, Elizabeth. 20 of them. All right. I'm going to move along here. Thanks for calling. But uh, stay in touch. And particularly if you if you change your mind, I'd like to hear immediately about this. Because we should do this periodically, you know. I mean, not all the time. <laughs> but, like, maybe we should do it again in September or something. See, see take everybody's temperature then. All right. Let's uh, – is this, like, our former intern? Is, is it that Penina? I don't know. We'll just find out. Hi, you're on the air. Is this our former intern? Yeah, it is. All right. You should have used a fake name or something. Oh, I know. Yeah. I wasn't sure if I would be able to go on. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I just want to say I uh, thanks for having me. I really, really loved Kamala Harris, um, especially during the Kavanaugh hearings. I think she just nailed it, and she wouldn't let it go. And that kind of gave me a feeling of, like, wow, I would love to see her debate Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I you know, she has a record number of marijuana charges under her belt when she was AG yeah. in California. That she filed, and not that were filed against her. We should be, be clear about that. No, yeah, that yeah. she filed. Um, and then she was on, I think I think it was uh, Stretch and Bubito, but I could be wrong. She's on a radio show, and she said, like, oh, well, I smoked weed and I inhaled when I was in college, and I listened to Tupac and Biggie. And I'm like, you also arrested a record number of people for that like don't brag about that and you should address it okay so she's got it she made she's lost you a little bit or, or maybe yeah. a lot or she lost uh, you a lot i i don't know i mm-hmm. mean well there's i a- haven't decided yet i really liked pete but i also i agree with the last caller that he is also green but i'm a millennial so you know right you're a millennial and you're a young millennial as millennials go you're a young millennial so, yeah, I'm so just you're on the cusp. you're of great interest. All right, we'll we'll check back in with you in September or whenever it is we do this again. Uh, all right, so can I do one more? Can I, do, I don't see why I can't do one more. Uh, here's uh, Tom. Is this Tom? Tom in Simsbury? Hi, Tom. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon yourself. I'm one of your senior callers. Okay. And uh, my three preferences, early preferences, are Amy Globachar. Okay. Beto O'Rourke. And Pete Buttigieg. All right. You did a better job saying Buttigieg than you did of saying Klobuchar. But that's, you know, we've, challenging. We've, got, know. we've got plenty of time to get these names right. That's what I say. Exactly. Um, so that's interesting. So go through. So Klobuchar, 
Buttigieg? Uh, and, and who was the other? Okay. All right. That's sort of an interesting. So let's say let's say I, that puts you to my way of thinking, kind of a little bit towards the center and away from the left. None of those people are are running way to the left, right? Yeah. Well, you know, I'm trying to stay away from coastal candidates. Right. I uh, want somebody from the center of our country. Okay, that's a good idea. Um, all right. So those are so, so that's a, that's an important thing to you that it's not the coastal elites. You think people from the center of the country can probably talk in a better way to possibly convertible voters because exactly yeah. and to more uh, transitional states, border states. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen. That's that's an insight, and it's a good insight, and. and I cherish that insight. So we had a caller named David. <laughs> we had a caller named David who thinks John Delaney would be the best, but he's too shy to go on the air. See, that's a problem with these Delaney supporters. I think there could be a huge John Delaney groundswell if A, his supporters weren't so shy, and B, if I had any idea who John Delaney is. Like, I know that there is a person named John Delaney and that he's one of the 20, but I couldn't really... <laughs> I know it's. I know this is sort of bad that I'm hosting a radio show and I write about politics for a living, and I don't know who that is. But there's 20 of them, and I've reached an age where, although I can still remember the lyrics to like Emerson, Lake, and Palmer tunes that I heard in 1974, I don't. I don't absorb new information that well. I have more, much more trouble with that. So, one one suggestion that I have, and then we're going to go to a break. We've got Jason, Marianne, Linda, Andrea, Tom. No, Tom. We just did Tom. Uh, Preston. We got a bunch of callers here. We're going to go to a break. One thought that I have about this is. If we're going to get rid of some of these people, it seems to me that, you know, so they have this thing about how you qualify for the debates. And I'm going to try to do it off the top of my head just to prove that I know something. So you can either get 65,000 different people to give you individual donations, parentheses. This is why Andrew Yang, who you probably you might not know very much about, has qualified for the debates already. Close parentheses. Um, or you can poll at least 1% in three different major accredited or accepted by the Democratic National Committee polls that are either national polls or in upcoming primary states. And so I think I stated that more or less correctly. So if you can do one of those two things, um, you, can, you qualify for the debates. But see, I think there also needs to be a mechanism by which you disqualify for the debates. Like, let's say you, you know, go another four months and you, nothing else ever happens. It seems to me you should at least have to pay us some money, you know, like give the U.S. Treasury $5,000 of your own money because you're wasting our time right now. You're eating up people's attention span about a very important topic. There should be a penalty that you pay somewhere down the line. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Don't hang up, Jason, Marianne, Linda, Andrea, Steve. We'll be back. All right, so we're taking phone calls right now, 860-275-7266, about the Democratic primary field, the 20 candidates 
who any of whom could be president. If nobody calls up about Andrew Yang, I'm going to be really annoyed. All right. So uh, but I'm just going to just go through the line. No favorites, not playing favorites, just starting at the top of the list and going down. So here's Jason and Kanan. Hi, Jason. Hey, how's it going? It's OK. <laughs> so uh, Andrew Yang. There no, we go. Uh, no, all right. So no, uh, you were playing I'm, around I'm with those twenty uh, somethings that every candidate is trying to get their vote. Yeah. Um, and you know, last election I was very much into Bernie, like a lot of people my age. Yep. And still am. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing I'm going to be looking closely at mostly this year is how the DNC treats Biden versus all the others. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels to me very much like. Biden is just this election's Hillary, mm. where it feels like, you know, it's a safe choice. It's going to be marketed as the guy who can beat Trump. But as you put it really well, to me, it's it's not about who can win. It's who represents me. Right. I mean, I, I even though I'm not a young person, I feel like you and I might be a little bit similar. Anybody who can't talk persuasively and eloquently about the reallocation of resources in this country, money, uh, access, power, you know, anybody who's not talking about that. First of all, the establishment candidates are not going to talk persuasively about that. You're not going to okay. hear that, uh, you know, in a way that's believable from Biden. And if they're not talking about that, I'm not that interested. Yeah. All right. So we figured that I, out. I really do believe that. I feel like I'm one of the only people that thinks that the election cycle is way too long in this country. Oh, no, you're not. You're not as alone as you think you are about that. Because, you know, we are, you know, a full year out and we're already talking about, you know, this election like it's a month away. I know. Cause, and there's already 20 frickin candidates. I mean, yeah, and I, feel, I feel like what happens is people my age, what happens is they get burnt out on it. You right. Know, we start out. A year and a half before, and by the time it's election day, everyone's just tired of it. So you don't really have a, a favorite right now. It could be Bernie, right but it's, right now it's Bernie. Yeah. Um, with probably you know Biden as a distant second. Ah. I know. I know. How about but, Andrew Yang? He's like guaranteed minimum income for people. Come on. I know. Which is which is check him out. Universal basic income is really interesting idea. We're just not there yet. All right. Thanks for calling in, Jason. Great call. I'm so glad all these young people are calling up. They must think it's a different radio station or something. No, I think young people are listening now. Here's here's Mary Jane from North Stonington. Hi, Mary Jane. Oh, hi, uh, Colin. I just uh, wanted to call in because I think there's a candidate named. Kamala Harris, yeah, and I think she could beat Trump. She's a good speaker, but she has, as part of her platform, legalizing prostitution, which is a really bad idea. Uh, anybody who's interested in kind of researching it, go to the day, April 13th, 2019, and read about Bruce Beamer and the prostitution that he was running mainly for himself, it seems like, at the speedball, because a very limited people... Um, people who are perhaps mentally challenged are drawn into this and forced. And I do think that it's something that we'd be just as well without having that legal. And maybe Ms. Harris could change her idea. Right. I, um, I think she's worried about police uh, harassing prostitutes. I think that's what she's thinking about. But I think for a policy terrible idea and she is a good speaker. She, I think what is she has supported so far 
is the decriminalization of so-called sex workers. Now, that that I, I first of all, there's so many candidates. I don't know everybody's position on everything, on everything but uh, or even close. But that that might be a far cry from the total legalization of prostitution. In other words, you know, that wouldn't necessarily mean that you could run a prostitution ring and suffer no consequences. I think first of all, the decriminalization. I'm guessing. I'm, I don't know this for sure. I'm guessing it applies to the sex workers themselves, as opposed. So it's the difference between somebody who's using marijuana and somebody who's selling marijuana or whatever. Um, so decriminalization is different from legalization. So just sort of bear that in mind as you as, as you evaluate here. Sound fair? Okay. okay uh, yes, and highly recommend Time Magazine, March fourth, twenty nineteen. I'm a retired librarian, a short uh, little article on every single one of the guys and girls who are running, except for the very newest. Uh, It's a really wonderful uh, source, so you can kind of get a thumbnail sketch of everybody. So, okay, so um, thanks very much for calling in. I'm just looking at it right here. I think all she's ever said about this when asked a question about it is in an interview with The Root, uh, do you think sex work ought to be decriminalized? She answered, I think so. I do. And then she says, when you're talking about consenting adults, I think that, you know, yes, we should really consider that we can't criminalize consensual behavior as long as no one is being harmed. Well, that's maybe a little bit fur- further down the road than I had imagined that she had gone. But it's also maybe not <laughs> a position paper issued by her campaign or part of part of the policy section of her website or something like that. So as everybody keeps saying, it's early. Let's wait and see. Here's Linda in Woodbury. Hi, Linda. Hi. Um, yeah, I I had the idea that it's um, this huge field that we have is, a, I think, a good thing, because if you look at uh, what it could be, if it weren't a huge field, what if it were three or four candidates? My feeling is that they would be drawn and quartered by the Republicans. You know, they've got a pretty um, impressive machine out there. And uh, to have 20, they can't go on the attack as... Uh, as hard as they might, and um, and also it gives these um, these people who are probably a pretty remote chance. It gives them a chance to build a little uh, war chest and also get a lot of name recognition. You know, they might be aiming for four more years down the road rather than this next election. Well, um, yes, but we, I mean, I might be like maybe I'm overanalyzing it. No, no, I mean, I, I, I there are people who are probably in that field of twenty who are probably angling for something other than the presidency, or who are at least splitting their their hopes and their intentions between the presidency and some other possibilities. I don't think that's a wildly cynical state statement for you to make. And But I, I would say the only thing that I would disagree, I think, first of all, you're sort of right that Fox News doesn't really know who to, who to attack the most among the 20. So it's, it is good. There's sort of a, a herd immunity there. There's just so many of them, like, you know, who to yeah, show. Who, Safety in numbers. Who should Sean Hannity, safety in numbers is a better way to put it. Uh, who should Sean Hannity try to destroy? However, they all are, are all competing for some of the same scarce resources, uh, money, campaign workers, campaign volunteers, and stuff like that. So to a certain degree, maybe they um, hurt each other a little bit. All right, we're going to Andrea in Hamden. Well, this is so much fun. I'm having a really good time. Hi, Andrea, you're on the air. Hi, thank you for having me. Sure. Um, Well, I just want to say that I am a huge Bernie Sanders supporter. I was in the last election. Mm -hmm. I think the DNC did a terrible disservice to him the last 
time. And um, I really hope that the millennials overlook that he's an old white guy and some people call him curmudgeon because if you really look at his platform, he has an amazing progressive platform that he has been talking about for the last 35 years of being in politics. He's really the only one I feel like who could actually get any of those things done. And it's almost a good thing that Trump has torn the whole government down because someone like him can go in and build it back up in a way that serves everybody, not just a few. And I just, I just hope millennials will really consider him and, and get behind him. All right. Well, so that's a very impassioned and articulate uh, support of Bernie. Uh, that was very well done. Okay, great. Right. <laughs> the only thing that I would say about Bernie that was called to my attention recently by Mike Pesca is that Bernie still keeps complaining about millionaires and billionaires. It's millionaires and billionaires. And Mike was pointing out that, you know, I don't know, probably like, you know, there's probably somebody here working as a reporter in public radio in Connecticut who, you know, if you added up all of his or her assets and subtracted the liabilities, you might you might eke out, say, a million dollars. There's quite a distinction between that person. Now, that person had his or her net worth multiplied by 10, that would be 10 million, multiplied by 100, that would be 100 million. But a billion is a thousand million. So millionaires and billionaires, you know, they're really kind of not the same thing. Billionaires are are special. That's why we make such a fuss about them. Millionaires and billionaires. All right, let's go to uh, Steve in New Hartford. Hi, you're on the air. Hello, Colin. Hello. Um, I'm a 70-year-old white guy Mm -hmm. who himself very much drawn to the younger candidates yep. and the female candidates. Mm-hmm. I really like uh, Jill Brand, Harris, Klobuchar. I especially like Elizabeth Warren, even though she's a little bit older. Um, I like some of her policies. But the guy, the person who I really am drawn to is, is Pete Bruggesen. Um, it's so hard I've to say. I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and interviews on television, and what I like about Pete, besides his obvious intelligence, and a lot of the candidates are are very intelligent, but I liked his his answer to the question of what he would do in his first hundred days. Um, there, all of the candidates seem to be uh, keying in on health care and reallocation of resources, which are very important. Pete also keyed in on democracy, on the things that are um, making it very difficult to say one one person, one vote, vote. And I especially liked his ideas for what he would suggest for the Supreme Court. All right. That's great. I mean, I'll just tell you that I was very much bedazzled by Buttigieg in the early going. You know, I'm a little more suspicious of him. I mean, I guess intentionally he has no policy section on his campaign website, like no policy section. So I don't know. When I see that, it makes me feel like he's running on his biography, which everybody does. But he might be running on his biography a little bit too much. So I would need to see. Don't you think that he, like the other candidates, are all going to address uh, health care and, and reallocation of resources, and none of that's going to be accomplished by any one of them by themselves. They're going to have to have a uh, bipartisan uh, approach that attracts uh, at least middle-of-the-road Republicans, 
as right. well as the rest of the Democrats. Right, and but I don't want to be using ESP to figure out what this guy thinks. <laughs> you know, I want him to tell me what he thinks. But thank you very much for your call, sir. That was excellent. Uh, what should I? First of all, we have some open lines now, so we are handicapping the field. We're not handicapping the field. We are just talking about the field. Yes, it's early. Yes, the the primary is a long way away, and the election is even further away. But eight six zero two seven five seven two six six is where we're asking you to call if you'd just like to sort of give us a sense of you know how where are you leaning right now who among these candidates is reaching out to you and also i didn't bring this up yet but i'm certainly going to talk about it in the, in the third and final segment because i have an example of what i consider to be bad political journalism but i'd, I'd be interested to know what kind of role you think the media will have in all this uh how much how much of a part i mean the press used to play I think, a bigger role than it probably will now. You know, I mean, one of the lessons of Trump, obviously, is you can run without the press on your side and do quite well. And I think increasingly, you look at candidates like AOC, she didn't win, I don't think, because the press liked her so much, but because she was able to organize a base of support that would stay with her. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering whether that can be scaled up to the national level. Maybe it can't, but I wonder about the importance of the press. All right, let's talk to Billy in Middletown who wants to talk about a candidate who's not running for president, which I think, by the way, is the best kind of presidential candidate. Hi, Billy. Uh, hi, thanks. Um, you, you know, as I'm listening to everybody, I keep changing my mind. You know, um, I, I like Pete B. I'm not going to bother trying to pronounce his last name. Um, I think he's a great speaker, and he comes across well. And Pamela Harris, I was attracted to right from the beginning. Um, but all all these months, I've been really hoping that Chris Murphy would change his mind and, and uh, throw his hat in the in the uh, circle there. And um, I I have a soft spot for Joe Biden. I, I always have. And um, uh, there is more will be revealed. That's all I can say. You know, I think that issues... Um, uh, they had a thing on NPR uh, a couple of weeks ago about how people use issues to um, aim for a uh, certain target that may not be the same as the issue that they're talking about. And um, I think that's what's happening now. So anyway, that's I'm confused, but um, it's great to listen to people's opinions. Thank yes, you. I like hearing you be confused. I will say uh, I, I think it's quite possible that Chris Murphy could throw his hat in the ring. I don't think he'll run for president, but he has very good hand-eye coordination. So in terms of like throwing the hat in the ring, I think he could definitely do that. All right. What do you think? I think I should take maybe one more call, uh, and uh, then we will go to a break. So we'll go to Mike in Cromwell because he's been waiting a while. Hi, we've got another Bernie guy here. I'm, hi, Mike. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. So um, there was a Bernie kickoff event that I hosted on Saturday this this week in Cromwell, and it was really surprising the age groups that showed up. We had a bunch of millennials, but we even had some people in their 70s as well, a guy from East Hartford who um, was uh, around during the Vietnam protests and stuff, and he, you know, he, he was relating his experience to what's going on today. Um, personally, I think Bernie's the most genuine candidate out of the field. Um, this is coming from someone who really values service. Um, I did some work for a, year, a couple of years in with the AmeriCorps, and I ended up becoming a teacher, ended up teaching at UConn for a little bit, 
And as you were talking about before, a bunch of young people listening to your show, I'd always tell my students to listen to NPR for their news. Um, yeah, so that's my perspective on Bernie. I do have some concern about uh, Biden mm-hmm. because um, I did study politics for a little bit. And a niche area I did like to research was conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. If you remember last election as well, the Pizzagate thing on yep. the fringe. There is a lot of that with Biden I see on Reddit and stuff already with um, like children and the women. He already has that. And I could see a bunch of ammunition built up against his campaign. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that's all nonsense and you'd hate to disqualify yeah, somebody based on nonsense. I, I, know, I, I think there's plenty it, it of other reasons not to vote for Joe about. Biden. Yeah. I, I don't think we even need to go out into the wacko conspiracy realm. We could find lots of reasons right here on planet Earth not to vote for Joe Biden. All right. We're going to take a little break. We're going to come back. I think we do have an Andrew Yang call. About time. And let's get a Marianne Williamson call, too, while we're at it. Let's let some of these non-traditional candidates. My ears are glued to the radio for my favorite call-in show. What's my opinion? You want to know who you're going to have to listen to the radio. I figured out this great mnemonic device for remembering all the candidates. You take the periodic table of elements, but mix in the mnemonic device for remembering the time zones in Canada. Prime ministers can't eat any nachos. But every third word, you add the device for remembering taxonomy, which is King Philip came over for great spaghetti. And then, you know what, probably easier if I just show you. It's Buttigieg, Biden, and Saul. Well, it's Harris and Warren and Inslee. It's Hickenlooper and... Wait a second. Um, let me start over. It's Buttigieg, Biden, and Saul. Well, it's Yang and, and Beto. And tell you what, come back tomorrow and I will totally do it for you. Today's show was produced by Betsy Hickenlooper and me, Kion Yang. Welcome back to Jonathan Klobuchar Diaper Pants. The part of Bill Curry was played by Seth Moulton. Can you imagine if there was a presidential candidate named Seth Moulton? There is. Never mind. On tomorrow's show, Dust. You know, like the Avengers. I didn't see the new movie. Are they still mostly dust? And now, back to Colin. All right. So, uh, I'm in favor of calling him Klobuchar diaper pants for the foreseeable future. Um, but welcome back to Jonathan McNichol, who was away on paternity leave, and he's back. Uh, and we're very happy to have him back. I don't know how happy he is to be back with us, but he's trying. He's trying to put on a brave front of being happy to be back with us. I think he'd rather be home with his baby. Um, all right. So and that's that's a good placement of priorities. All right. So I asked for an Andrew Yang supporter. I think I have one on the line here. Jan, uh, I hope I'm saying your name right. But uh, you are, I believe, an Andrew Yang supporter, correct? Yes, I am. Thank you. So tell me about this. Well, I want to vote for him because he p- proposes solutions for issues that got Donald Trump elected, i.e. the loss of millions of jobs to automation. Mm -hmm. He doesn't blame scapegoats. He doesn't blame immigrants, foreigners, or white guys for the issues that's facing the country. He tells the truth, and he faces the reality. So basically, technology advancement replaced all those jobs and is going to continue replacing millions of jobs. We simply don't need that many people to work in many of the traditional jobs. And he proposes a basket of solutions to address that. 
Um, yeah, first of all, you you got to love the number of positions he takes in his policy section of his website. I think there's 105 different uh, policy positions, so he's not ducking any issues. And he does seem to see exactly as you've described it, the the move towards automation, roboticization, artificial right. intelligence is something that affects the job market probably in a more significant way than the kind of immigration that's been made into a scapegoat. So I'm just yeah. repeating what you said back to you. I don't know why I'm doing that. But um, but anyway, thanks for calling in. I, You know, I, I've been watching some clips of this guy. I, He's pretty impressive. I don't know whether he can make a dent in the field, but, uh, you know, I mean, he's 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 got a lot going on anyway. So, yeah. So thanks for calling in. Ask the listeners to listen to him. Look, like, look for him. Listen to his um, interviews, and I think people will be impressed. All right. Thanks very much for your call, Jan. Um, actually, you know, even Marianne Williamson, and I hate to say even Marianne Williamson, that's not fair, but she's obviously this person who's very famous for another thing, for her spiritual guidance, which she derives from something called A Course in Miracles, and she's, you know, Oprah's spiritual advisor. And so, I mean, it's easy to write somebody like that off. But I was watching some, you know, there's clips of everybody now, also because CNN keeps having these town, these endless town halls for all these candidates. And I was watching her answer uh, some questions about crime and punishment and education. And I mean, she actually, you know, she actually answered the way you would want a political leader to answer the question. It wasn't like she didn't know the answer to these questions. She's run for Congress in 2014. You know, I, I sort of expected, I don't know what I was expecting, but she, for example, talked, I thought, very eloquently about how we fund up education through the property tax, which which means the nicer, nicer the houses are around where you live, the better public education you get, which doesn't seem fair when you put it that way. All right. So let's go to I was going to give my example of bad political reporting, but I may not, not get to it because there's so many of you calling in. We'll see. Here's a John in Woodstock. Hi, John. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. So. I'm going to go back to something I, I've said about candidates for a long time. I have three things that I measure them on, um, their compassion, their intelligence, and their courage. And for me, looking over, as much as I have had time to at any rate, looking over all the candidates, Bernie still comes way out on top. Um, and added to that, he's also, you know, look at his website. Look at his website back in 2016. He's got solutions. He's got policy ideas. He completes the equation on how do you get that free college tuition. Now, you may not like that idea and you may not agree with it, but he completes the, the entire piece there. And the last thing I'll say is playing off something you said earlier, that the difference between a billionaire and an NPR host who might just crack the million mark is pretty darn vast. I would just say that the distance from that NPR host to those of us who were paycheck to paycheck is massive. And and most of this country, or a huge chunk of this country, is closer to paycheck to paycheck. And for those folks, you got to look hard at what Bernie's saying and what Bernie's about. And I, he's still my number one choice. Elizabeth Warren would be number two. All right. That's a great call. Great points uh, all around. Thanks so much, John. Uh, and I, I said at the top of the show, I'd be happy to hear from a Republican who's struggling with his or her own set of choices or a conservative. I think we have one in Nicholas from Hamden. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, how's it going? What's it going okay? Yeah, so I only support for Democrats, if it were one for me to support, it would be either Gabbard or Ojeda. I'm probably butchering their names, though. Okay. They're both Army vets. 
Okay. So yeah, Gabbard and Buttigieg. Okay. Yeah. Just because after Donald Trump fired Mattis and O'Kell and Kelly and the way he did it, that was when he turned me off yeah. from him completely. So and you're not even you're not toying with the idea of William Weld or somebody like that actually primarying yeah, Trump he, within his own party. He really, I don't think he could beat Trump if he tried. Okay, so so you want a veteran who has some concept of command structure uh, and how the military actually works? Yes, that and I feel like veterans like they might have their policies like a certain way, but I feel like they'd be a lot less partisan in carrying them out. Like they would reach across the aisle a lot more than, say, Booker or Kamala Harris or definitely Beto O'Rourke. Okay, gotcha. Thanks for your call. Uh, I got uh, another call. I might have time to make my little point here at the end. Uh, here's Shelley in Middlebury. Hi. Hi, Colin. Uh, I just wanted to say that uh, Bernie Bernie is not the guy because he threw abortion access under the bus in support of an unproven claim that anti-abortion Democrats can help the party in red states. Um, And that can't just be reduced to political expediency. There's a bigger principle involved here. And meaningful accountability is necessary to the constituency that makes up the core of the Democratic Party, and that's women of color and black women in particular. Black women are the most consistent Democratic voters and are strong supporters of reproductive justice, including abortion. Support for any anti-abortion Democrats not only proliferates restrictions, but it's also hardest on women of color. And that marginalizes this critical constituency in the very party that claims to represent them. So I'm, uh, I think access to abortion is a fundamental linchpin of women's autonomy and economic security in this country. And we need, we need to own our bodies. We right. need to control the means of reproduction. This is just bullshit. Okay, try not to use that particular word. But um, but I mean, it, it, my understanding of Sanders on abortion is he's got a lifetime pro-choice record. Uh, what he said, I think, was to, that you should support a pro-life Democrat if he can beat a pro-life Republican, uh, or he or she can uh, beat a pro-life said that Republican. He, wanted, he said that we'd need to have a, a completely Democratic government all the way across, all, all branches. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that that's necessary. Right. I think that whoever the candidate for president has got to understand that it's time to, you know, pass an ERA. Mm-hmm. It's time to stand up for women. This is the era of Me Too. We saw what happened to Dr. Ford in the Kavanaugh hearing. I want to see. I want to see a presidential candidate that's going to want to impeach Kavanaugh. That's going to want to place Merrick Garland. On the court. Right. I don't think you can really impeach Kavanaugh unless he were to do something while in office that constituted an impeachable. I think you could impeach him if he if he perjured himself. Yeah, I think. Good luck with that. All right. So uh, rather than me make my point, uh, why don't we just do one more uh, here as we're heading down here? We've got Mary Beth in West Hartford. Hi, Mary Beth. Can you do it? Do it fairly uh, um, swiftly. I just want to repeat what Meghan McCain said on The View this morning. I don't agree with everything she says, but she has a good point. Democrats always cannibalize each other, and Republicans get in line. So we have to remember that to win. All right. I, that 
I think we just heard that with the previous call. Oh, sorry. Um, no, no, no. I mean, no, 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 no. I don't mean, I think the previous call was a good example of the point that you're making. Oh. So this, the previous caller was a person attacking Bernie Sanders in, you know, I mean, I think one thing that we're seeing here, I've seen it twice on this show today, is people find one thing that the yes. candidate said once. That's right. Not an official position of the campaign. One, one thing that the candidate said once that could be interpreted as not in support right. uh, of, of a particular thing that they care about. And then they just could kind of go to town on that candidate. That's right. And we need to win this so we can't have perfect candidates. So. It's what is some, sometimes called the circular firing squad. Okay. So I had this point that I was going to make, which would take more time than I could. I don't have time to make it right now. But it, it is the press plays a role in all of this, too, and, and how the press handles these town halls, the kinds of questions that get asked, the way that the questions get asked. I could quickly tell you that I was going to play a clip of Don Lemon talking to Kamala Harris, and he's asking her about prisoners, whether prisoners should have the right to, to vote. And he goes, so you think do you think prisoners like like, you know, the Boston bombers should have the right to vote uh, the Boston Marathon bomber? And I mean, that's the wrong way to ask the question. And I, I, if Kamala Harris had seen it coming, what I would have wanted her to say is, you know, Don, there's 2.2 million people in prison in this country. We're the world's largest per capita jailer by a long shot. Now, do you think most of those 2.2 million people are a lot like the Boston Marathon bomber? Or do you think more of them are like people who've been arrested for drug offenses, for drug possession offenses, or burglaries and stuff like that? So when you ask me a question about whether or not those 2.2 million people in prison should be allowed to vote, and you tag it, with, you know, like the Boston Marathon bomber. The, the implication being that's what they're like, those people in prison. <laughs> I mean, that's just that's being a crummy journalist, you know, that, and, and that's trying to put the candidate into a position where they kind of can't win. You know, if they either way, they'll wind up endorsing an unpalatable position. So shame on you, Don Lemon. Shame on you. And that is not the first time that has been said. <laughs> 